Welcome to Her Story, the history of Southeast Asia told from her perspective. We'll discover historical figures, matriarchal societies, and contemporary female icons, and maybe learn about ourselves along the way. I'm Agas Ramirez. This is episode 14, Ba Thru and the Uprising of 248 AD. Ba, or Lady Thru, was a 3rd century Vietnamese warrior who managed, for a time, to resist the Chinese state of Eastern Wu during its occupation of Vietnam. But before we begin, I'd like to correct some information from the last episode. Alex West, a PhD candidate studying medieval Indonesia, said that the word Chetbang is not attested in the old Javanese corpus and that breech-loading cannons have not been recovered in 14th or 15th century archaeological contexts in Southeast Asia. He goes on to say that the word Chetbang seems to have been invented fairly recently. It's an onomatopoeia, and it doesn't appear in any old texts in any Southeast Asian language. Cannons recovered from shipwrecks in Southeast Asian waters before 1511 are all simple Chinese-style cannons made of bronze or iron with bulbous chambers. Some fired arrows. There's no evidence for the presence of breech-loading guns in Southeast Asia until the 16th century. The common word for gun in 15th century Java was wedil or pedil. It's probably from a Tamil word. We find it in late Old Javanese, Old Sundanese, and Malay. Breech-loading cannons were not known in China until the 16th century at least. When the Portuguese turned up and fought against Chinese ships with their breech-loaders, the Chinese were amazed because they'd never seen it before. If these kinds of guns were known in Java in the 14th century in the time of Yagitarja, they would have absolutely been known in China in the early 16th. And we should find some at shipwreck sites in Southeast Asian waters in the 14th and 15th centuries, but we don't. Breech-loading cannons became really popular in Southeast Asia in later centuries, even into the 19th century, so there are plenty of later examples in museums, and some of them have been claimed to be from the 14th century in spite of the absence of evidence for this. He concludes that at the end of the day, there's no evidence for the Chetbang idea. So there you have it. The development of the Chetbang during the reign of Diagitarja is probably just a myth, Thank you, Alex West, for listening to the episode and tagging this podcast in your thread. If any of our listeners want to send in comments or ideas, tag or email the podcast anytime. I really appreciate it. Okay, now on to the episode. This is the story of an uprising that is, as usual, part of a larger story of warring families, disputed territories, and the quest for power and domination that has shaped much of history. The circumstances behind this particular uprising can be traced more or less to 221 AD, or the founding of the state of Eastern Wu in China. Around this time, Hu Qi led an army of 10,000 to resist Liu Pei, founder of the Shu Han dynasty, who was marching down the Yangtze. After defeating Liu Pei, Hu Qi remained in Hunan to track down bandits and pacify the population. A man called Lu Tai was sent to replace Qi in the province of Nanhai. Lu Tai is a key figure in this story. He took over and appointed several governors of his own. Now historically, the ruling family of present-day North Vietnam, which was then an area called Zhao Qi, was the Xi family. 
The highly influential patriarch Shi She died at the age of 90 in 226. The Wu court immediately named his son Shi Hui Remote Tranquility General, a title previously held by his father. Now, Shi Hui felt that it was time for their region to be free of Wu suzerainty. According to Keith Weller Taylor, the Han Empire had been partitioned into three kingdoms. There was no reason to believe that a fourth kingdom might not succeed, particularly in the case of the Shi family, which was popular among the people, prosperous, talented, and geographically remote. People in Zhao Qi didn't really like this idea because they were sure that it would just get them into trouble. They would be invaded and the people would suffer in the wars to come. One of the officials, Huan Lan, told Shi Hui that they should just accept the new governor. Shi Hui, perhaps fearing his influence or wanting to make an example out of him, had Huan Lan flogged to death. This started infighting that lasted months, with a murdered official's older brother ordering warriors to attack the city. Eventually, they worked it out and made peace. But generally, it seemed like Hoan Lan's family was on the side of local interest here. They wanted regional stability, not a war of independence. Of course, the Wu heard about this and sent a punitive expedition against Shi Hui. Lu Tai, remember him, and the other Wu governors he assigned teamed up in a province called Ho Pu, where an advisor told them, Hui can depend on the goodwill his family has earned for generations. The Hu province obeys him. Lu Tai replied that they had the element of surprise on their side. Shi Hui's cousin, Kuang, was actually Lu Tai's assistant at the time, and he was sent to Shi Hui to ask them to submit peacefully. He said that their safety would be personally guaranteed. Shi Hui was not prepared to fight, so he led his brothers and sons, six men in all, to meet with Lu Tai. What do you think happened? Would Lu Tai honor his word and keep the Shi family safe once they surrender? Or would he dare double-cross them? Five seconds to pick an answer. And the answer is... The next morning, Lu Tai summoned the six men before an audience of his officials. But instead of accepting their surrender, he read an accusation of treason against them. All six men were beheaded and their heads were sent to the Wu court. Obviously, Lu Tai's decision provoked unrest in Jiao Qi. Huan Tri, the elder brother of the previously murdered official, joined forces with Shi Hui's remaining generals to fight Lu Tai. However, they did not win, and after pacifying Zhao Qi, they moved to Ku Chan, where he killed or captured 10,000 people. Surviving members of the Xi family were subsequently executed. Commercial profits that previously went to the Xi family now went directly to the Wu coffers. Lu Tai was not gaining popularity among the Vietnamese, obviously. Now let's focus on Ku Chan, and I'm sorry for mispronouncing this, but I couldn't find a guide anywhere. While Lu Tai had conquered Ku Chan, his rule was not established there. There's another player, Lin Yi of the Lin Yi dynasty, who was fighting a war with the Chinese on the border of Ku Chan. And when Lu Tai was summoned to deal with an uprising somewhere else, the people of Ku Chan seized the opportunity to rebel. Here, a 23-year-old woman known as Ba Thru rallied the rebels and led them in a fresh march northward. 
you've heard of the terms colonization or decolonization in bits and pieces. But do you find European colonization too broad and too complicated to get into? Well, there is now a podcast for you. Join me, Fidelity, on an introduction through the history of colonization. We will cover not just the major wars and conquests that took place, but also the perspectives of people who have been neglected in the grand Eurocentric narrative of discovery in colonial lands. You can find the History of Colonization podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Batru grew up during the Three Kingdoms period of China, in which the Eastern Wu dominated many Vietnamese territories. It was not a time of peace, as the Wu exploited human labor, natural resources, and accumulated wealth, as we saw in the first part of the episode. Ben Kiernan writes that the Wu regime was harsh and turmoil plagued the southern commanderies by the late 3rd century. We don't know Bat Thru's real name, but some sources like Craig Lockhart believe it may have been Thru Tri Trin. Unverified temple writings say that she was orphaned young and grew up with her brother Thru Kok Dat under intense Chinese suppression. According to Keith Weller-Taylor, Chinese records do not really mention Lady Thru and so our knowledge of her only comes from Vietnamese sources. As it stands, the events of 248 were remembered differently by the two sides. The Chinese recorded their success in buying off certain rebel leaders with bribes and promises. They didn't really talk about her, but the resistance led by Lady Tru was probably for them simply a kind of stubborn barbarism that was wiped out as a matter of course and was of no historical interest. On the other hand, the Vietnamese remembered Lady Thru's uprising as the most important event of the time. Catherine Churchman, however, says that Taylor is mistaken. She writes that the first and most detailed record of her, upon which all subsequent records are based, is actually from Liu Xinxi's Xiao Chu Xi, coded at length in the Taiping Yulan, or Imperial Reader of the Taiping Era. She and other scholars note that while the Trung sisters are often mentioned alongside Bat Thru, they don't really have anything to do with each other. The uprisings in the year 248 were initiated by the peoples of the hill country rather than those of the plains and were linked more to imperial encroachment than to a continuation of resistance. By Bat Thru's time, there had already been centuries-long occupation of the Red River Plain. If you want to know more about the Trung sisters, go listen to episode 6. So, what did the Vietnamese write about Bat Thru? The traditional image of her is that of a remarkable, almost mythical hero, throwing her yard-long breasts over her shoulders when going into battle as strident elephant. This is an image that has been handed down from generation to generation. Yes, I said yard-long breasts. Le Tak, a Vietnamese historian exiled in China, wrote that she had resolved from a young age to keep her virginity. Her breasts were three feet long and that she carried them on her back. She wore shoes and rode on an elephant to fight her enemies. We have plenty to talk about there. In fact, if you Google Batru right now, you'd find old drawings of her with her elongated breasts. According to Churchman, later male Vietnamese writers and scholars also described her as almost superhuman, bewitching, nine feet tall, with a voice like a temple bell, 
to separate her from the actual flesh and blood women who are mostly believed to be inferior to men in a patriarchal society. The novelist Kong Huyen Tun Nunatrang agrees. She believes that the non-human appearance of Lady Tru can be attributed to historians' inability to force her into the confusion mold of femininity. Another writer, Arlene Eisen Bergman, believes that it was a way to discredit her. The ideal woman was modest and flat-chested, and she was the exact opposite of that. As always, it becomes very hard to say which is fact and which is fiction, but a story that I found repeated across sources was variations of this one. When advised, reportedly by her brother, to marry rather than fight, she replied in words that still stir the Vietnamese. I want to ride the storm, tread the dangerous waves, win back the fatherland, and destroy the yoke of slavery. I don't want to bow down my head working as a simple housewife. And so it was in the year 248 AD, 200 years after the famous rebellion of the Trong sisters, that Ba Thru assembled a force of thousands on Ju Shan Mountain. It was said that both women and men fought under her leadership. She led 30 battles and won their independence, but it was short-lived. After six months, Ba Thru's army was defeated. It is said that she committed suicide rather than return to serfdom. But Ben Kiernan disagrees and writes that Lu Yi, the governor of Jiaoqi, actually put her to death. Here's an interesting tidbit. In the list of the five major anti-Chinese insurrections which occurred before the final expulsion of the Chinese from Vietnam, those led by women make up nearly half. Li Bi, who founded the early Li dynasty in 548 AD, erected a shrine to the memory of Lady Tru and honored her with a posthumous title. The shrine still exists in what was Kuchan. Taylor writes that since Li Bi marched north through Kuchan in a revolt as well, perhaps he built the shrine at the time to invoke the memory of this popular folk heroine to spur the enthusiasm of his followers. Lady Tru's posthumous cult flourished, and many details of questionable authenticity can be found in some temple documents, including the exploits of her brother and her personal name. As I mentioned, we don't really know her name. It might have been Tru Tri Trin, but I've also read that this might have just been referring to a woman from the Tru clan. Ha Doan, a young writer living in Hanoi, says... Tru's legacy is such that many streets throughout the country are named after her, and there are many folk songs about her imprinted in the hearts and minds of the Vietnamese people. Sleep, sleep tight, my child, so that I can fetch water to wash the gilded saddle of the elephant. Climb the hill if you want to see General Lady Tru on her golden gilded seat. Also during the early Li dynasty in the 6th century, and recognizing Ba Tru's loyalty and courage, King Nam De awarded her the highest title in the country, Cruest and Bravest First Lady. He also authorized the construction of a temple to honor her in Tanhua province, and her tomb still sits at the foot of Tong Mountain, around 500 meters from the temple. Every year on the anniversary of her death, which is February 22nd in the lunar calendar, a festival is held to commemorate her. In popular culture, of course, she is one of the characters in the game Civilization VI along with Yagitarja from the previous episode. In-game, Batryu's unique agenda is defender of the homeland, 
She likes civilizations that have not declared war on Vietnam and hates those that have, never forgiving their transgression. Her leader ability in the game is drive out the aggressors. The Civ 6 wiki says that Vietnam is a tough civilization to conquer. Where other civilizations' units get bogged down in tough terrain, Batrio's military units gain additional movement and defense while in marshes, woods, or rainforest, giving her a clear advantage when fighting in such regions. Ta là Triệu Trinh Nương, nữ tướng quân mặc chiếc áo hoàng bào. Ta nghênh đón người đã đến Việt Nam. Người chưa từng có âm mưu tiêu diệt ta, nên ta cũng sẽ không làm vậy với người. Batru is voiced by Ha Le Giang. She speaks modern Vietnamese with a northern or Hanoi accent. Batru is the leader with the shortest lifespan in Civ 6 and its expansions, having passed away at around 23. The only leader with a shorter lifespan in the entire franchise is Joan Dark, the French leader in Civ 3, who died when she was around 18. Some Western writers refer to Batru as the Vietnamese Joan of Arc, even though she predates Joan of Arc by at least a thousand years. These comparisons are never not awkward. In the show Watchmen, which began airing in 2019, there's also a character named Lady Tru, a trillionaire industrialist born in Vietnam in 1986. So many prayers, unanswered. I own and operate thousands of Manhattan booths around the world. You wouldn't believe what people ask him for. They beg and beg and beg for his help. Beg for him to come down from the heavens and make things better. But he ignores them, every single one. Do you know why? In a flashback during one episode, the mother of Watchmen's Lady True delivers the quote, I want to ride the strong winds, crush the angry waves, slay the killer whales in the eastern sea, chase away the Wu army, reclaim the land, and remove the yoke of slavery. According to Kiernan, Batru was the last Lak Viet woman rebel in the tradition of the Trung sisters. Producing a podcast like this takes a lot of time and research. If you like what we do, consider joining our Patreon like Ashley, Shireen, Chanda, Yati, Kara, and Mando who have been supporting this podcast. Thank you also to Michael who has been sending ideas and information for the show and for reminding me about Kartini Day. <laughs> Give as little as $1 to get a copy of the show notes with all the references, a shout out at the end of the next episode, and the occasional bonus episode. Patrons also now get a scannable Spotify magnet of the podcast in the mail. And if you can't join us on Patreon, just tell your friends about this podcast. That works too. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HerStoryCPod. That's HerStorySEAPod. Next time, we're rounding out Season 1 with the story of Queen Suryothai of the 16th century Ayutthaya period of Siam who died in the defense of her husband in a battle during the Burmese-Siamese War of 1547-1549. After that, we're leaving the Age of Commerce and entering the Colonial Period. But I will continue to upload Age of Commerce episodes on the Patreon, starting with Nyaigede Pinate, a Chinese Muslim trader who rose to prominence towards the end of the Majapahit Empire. There are so many more stories to tell and we're just getting started. 
This podcast was written, hosted, and edited by Agus Ramirez. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again next time. Sampai jumpa lagi! Hi, we're Tuk Tuk Box. We're passionate food lovers and culture junkies dedicated to telling the stories of our diaspora. We're an online retailer focused on showcasing Southeast Asian culture and experiences through food. We offer an array of Southeast Asian subscription boxes and products through our partnerships with vetted small business owners and local farmers. Everything we offer is exclusively a product of Southeast Asian entrepreneurs, creatives, and chefs made using carefully crafted ingredients and recipes from our own community. We are proud to share refugee, migrant, and intergenerational stories in every box we produce. We also hope to shed light on the stories of Southeast Asian changemakers and leaders. Through this platform, it is our goal to bridge the gap between the rich history and culture of our ancestors and homeland to our growing audience. In telling these stories, we aim to foster conversations around racism and colorism in our society, ultimately helping make social change. We are 100% Southeast Asian owned and female founded. Check out our various products now on our website, tuktukbox.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok under at tuktukbox. Hope you discover something new. Stay safe and stay snacking.